Hey, podcast listeners, hope you're doing well, and I hope you are winning contracts. Before we get into today's episode, I want to take a minute to share something with you that's working for our clients. Our federal access knowledge base is helping companies win contracts every single day. I regularly get emails from members thanking us and saying things like, hey, I just won a $2 million contract. Many of you have seen a video that Chris Danback shot for us at GovCon. Chris won two contracts totaling $30 million. One of our members emailed me this morning and said, the turning point that opened my eyes was using federal access to establish a professional and systematic business development and RFP process. I've now won two contracts worth $480,000. Federal access is helping a lot of companies win. It can help you too. So here's the deal. I have a special offer for you. Visit federal-access.com forward slash game changers today and get started for just $29. You're going to get access Access to a digital copy of the government sales manual, over 70 strategy videos, more than 30 webinars, 300 documents and templates, and one of my favorite pieces is SME support. So when you run into any issue, any challenge at all, you can email me directly for help. So go check out the special offer today at federal-access.com forward slash game changers. The link is in the description below the podcast. So go check that out today, federal-access.com forward slash game changers so you can get started for just $29 today. Now let's hop into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. My name is Michael Lejeune, and I will be your host today on Game Changers. Joshua Frank is also with me today as a co-host. And just as a quick reminder, Federal Access is our sponsor for the show today. Federal Access makes beating your competition easier. It can improve your proposal win rate by 42%. It comes with a no BS guide to winning government contracts. And it puts a government subject matter expert on speed dial for you. This is literally the tip of the iceberg. If you want to learn more about Federal Access, please visit www.rsmfederal.com federal.com forward slash fa so for the show today uh, we have a really interesting guest here his name is bill campbell he's the president of wts inc uh, he has a uh, he was aboard a navy uh, los angeles class fast attack submarine the uss atlanta as a reactor operator and technician and has a varied background in nuclear energy uh, so welcome to the show bill thank you very much yeah, so I'm, I'm excited about this topic because it's not very often I get to talk to people with a, the nuclear reactor background. So I think this is going to be interesting to just hear a little bit about, uh, you know, who you are and what you've done. So why don't, why don't we kick things off and just tell our listeners a little bit about who Bill Campbell is and a little bit about your background. My name is Bill Campbell and I'm the president of uh, Water Treatment Services, WTS Inc. Basically, it was started approximately 10 years ago when... Uh, we thought that there was an easier way to do business in the chemical treatment industry. So my background comes mostly from power plant operations, power plant uh, technician type work as far as electronics, and then along the lines of uh, the actual operations of the plants themselves. That started back in the Navy. And when I got out of the Navy, went back to school, completed my engineering degree, uh, went to work in industry and find myself kind of wanting to get involved more in the hands-on field environment uh, at the actual power plants themselves. 
so that's how I got involved in the hands-on aspect of working in power plants, working in uh, the niche field of the chemical industry uh, was was from the beginnings in the Navy. How, how long has WTS been a government contractor? We started soliciting uh, government contracts approximately a year ago, and it took us uh, approximately six to seven months to land our first actual government contract and what we do. You're in a very niche industry here, uh, dealing with the chemical industry. And it's it's one that fascinates me because I, I totally don't understand it. And I, I get, you know, with, with all the stuff going on with nuclear power plants and things like that, I got to imagine, you know, there's there's a lot of interest uh, in, in what you guys do. Now, one of the things that's intrigued me is I have to imagine that because it's such a niche industry, that there are a lot of factors for, say, a contracting officer when they're putting together RFIs, RFPs, things like that. Um, and I don't know if everybody has to have a technical background in this to be able to put together those RFIs. But what are some of the challenges that you see contracting officers facing when they're even just putting together an RFI for something like this for the services you guys provide? Uh, sure. So the basic underlying problem is that water in general is different throughout the United States, even though and throughout the world in that matter. So even though that uh, water you think of every day is what comes out of the faucet, uh, the dissolved solids that are in the water are very unique and they're unique in different parts of the country. That's what makes water treatment very difficult to do and perform. So that being said, there's no silver bullet out there that can actually, or one product that can solve all the problems for any uh, contracting officer or any facility throughout the United States. And so no one big company can therefore corner the market, so to speak, and come up with that one product like Microsoft does with say software or uh, uh, something that's common that everybody can use and it works everywhere throughout the world. So what ends up happening is you get a lot of smaller companies uh, that can essentially do the same things as the very large companies can do because uh, chemistry is chemistry when, when it comes down to it. And although that people have unique chemical technologies the reality is a lot of the chemical technologies are older and uh, more established tried and true methods uh, that work very well, uh, very cheaply. That is how like someone like Water Treatment Services or WTS Inc. can compete against uh, some of the larger chemical companies out mm -hmm. there uh, like the Nelcos, the Chemtreats and the GE Waters of, of the world. Right. That, that was interesting. And you said that, uh, you know, the water is different everywhere. I don't, I don't know if you watch a lot of these crime shows, but, you know, like the CSIs and the uh, NCIS and different shows, like they're always talking about being able to identify something based on the region, based on the dirt or the water. Um, and, I, and I guess that's because the, the toxins and whatever chemical makeup of the, of the land is so very different, you know, from South Africa to Virginia beach or, or, or whatever. So I never really thought about that with water. Um, I see that with, you know, dirt and other compounds and things, but that's, that's pretty interesting to, to see that in that space. So, um, so 
given that water is different everywhere, I, I assume that contracting officers have to get very smart on their region that they're working in in order to be able to put together a, a coherent RFP for something like this. I mean, is, is that is that true? To, to an extent, but a, a much better approach to that problem would be the contracting officers and the facility managers understand what their problems are. And in general, the problems are uh, scale and corrosion. So you want to prevent scale and corrosion within these systems so that the heat transfer surfaces and that the piping doesn't fall apart for say heating and ventilation, cooling systems, you know, that use big chillers and small cooling towers at hospitals mm -hmm. to power plants that uh, cool condensers for turbine generators and a generation of electricity. The underlying problem is still the same. It's scale and corrosion. What's different is how you go about treating that scale and corrosion. So instead of becoming a subject matter expert in your area of the country based on that water, you can put out the solicitation and say, hey, the industry standards for corrosion rate for mild steel piping is five mils per year or three mils per year, whatever you would like to make that standard, or you could follow an industry standard. Uh, and when you put out the solicitation, then you, you write that into the solicitation or the RFP so that everybody that's on the other end understands what the actual problem is and what the requirement is to solve. Mm -hmm. So then that puts everybody essentially on a level playing field so that they have to provide the chemistry to ensure that they maintain less than a five mils per year uh, corrosion rate within the systems mm -hmm. or whatever the specification is. So, so when you review an RFI or, or an RFP, are there and you've kind of touched on that a little bit here, are there two or three things, maybe common challenges or common things left off by contracting officers that if they would incorporate that in the process, it would it would make it easier for, for you to actually bid on? Yes, they, they need to, my recommendation would be, one, leave it open protocol, so to speak. Requesting a certain vendor's, chemicals or equipment can pigeonhole you maybe into one direction. Sure, the companies would like you to do that because then they kind of have uh, the opportunity to sell just their equipment or their chemicals to you. But a better approach to that would be to request that, you know, the equipment be able to be purchased through the open market uh, rather than from the chemical vendor themselves or the chemicals themselves uh, are, you know, they can have the chemical company's name, but they are a common chemical that can be procured anywhere, essentially from any chemical company. You bring up a really good point. And for, for the contracting officers that may be listening to this, how do you, you know, most of them, they get their requirements, right, from the field. And, and they're, they're being told, hey, we have to have this chemical or we have to have, you know, this manufacturer. And so what do you say to those contracting officers? What's the value of actually, you know, hey, leaving it open? Um, you know, is it, is it access? Is it cost? Um, is it process or workflow? So, you know, for the contracting officers listening today, 
okay, there's, they're hearing you. That's, that's great. That's what we would sometimes expect from, from other companies. But what do you, how do you respond to that? I think it brings in more competition for the contracting officer. So if they, if the core is asking for a specific chemical and equipment, uh, they're obviously talking to people that are in the field already, but what the contracting officer can do is he can say, or equivalent in his bid specification. And, and if then it's up to the vendor then to provide them an equivalent, uh, equip piece of equipment or an equivalent chemical. And then that gets back to the specifications where you can say like, hey, this will meet the specification uh, that you have and your your need of control and corrosion and control and scale throughout the system. Yeah, I, I think that's a huge point there you made with two words or equivalent. You know, I mean, that takes it from, uh, you know, again, something very specific that can only be supplied one way to an equivalent, you know, so those two words can really help. Again, if you're a contracting officer listening to this, uh, I think that's huge. The, the other thing I caught from you so far is, and you may, you may have more things contracting officers can do, but if I am a, another chemical company and I'm looking at one of these, uh, maybe it's an RFI, it's my opportunity to respond back to the contracting officer and say exactly that. Please put or equivalent in the final RFP, because I that's the one area where I think a lot of, of contractors miss an, the opportunity there to respond to the sources sought, the RFIs, whatever you want to call them, and actually influence what comes out in the RFP to be able to say, you know, this is really going to limit you to three companies. But if you put these two words in your RFP, you're going to open it up to 25 companies, of which 10 of them are small business that could supply this. And that that's the game changer for a lot of those companies that otherwise would be locked out of bidding uh, because a contracting officer didn't put those two words in there. So, so I, I think that's it's super important. Any, any other things that, uh, that you've seen when you've looked at an RFI or an RFP that you've been like, man, if they would just write it this way or make this other change, that would, that would just be huge for us and we'd be able to bid on it. Uh, sure. Like sometimes they will request uh, price per, you know, 55 gallon drum or a particular container size of chemical. Uh, and that's very misleading because uh, chemicals in general can be blended to different active ingredients. And the active ingredient is actually the uh, chemical that is the workhorse that's providing the corrosion protection or it's providing the scale protection to the system. So, you could have a 55 gallon drum that's 50% active that costs say a thousand dollars. And you could have a 55 gallon drum that's 25% active that costs $500. Uh, so it may appear to the contracting officer that, you know, they're getting a better value if they buy the $500 55 gallon drum, cause they're both 55 gallons and you're getting, you know, it's half the price. But the reality is, is it's half the active ingredient too. Uh, so just caution contracting officers on uh, requesting con specific container size or, you know, you know, price per container, because it, 
most likely the percent actives are different in the uh, in each container. A better way to do that would be to request uh, what the active ingredient is of the chemical and then give me a price per pound of that chemical. Um, most chemicals in the chemical industry are sold on a per pound basis and it gets back to uh, PPM requirements and that sort of thing, conversions. Uh, so that's how chemicals are typically sold in a price per pound. So if you get a price per pound uh, of a chemical and you know what the active is, then it's very easy to compare that one chemical to another chemical uh, from, from different vendors. You know, Mike, this is a this is an interesting discussion, and it goes it speaks directly to uh, one of the webinars we had on the you know responding to sources sought RFIs. And I would say, you know, as much as important as this as this session is for the contracting officers, it's also real important for other vendors. Um, you know, a lot of companies and 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 Bill, you, you, I think you'll agree. There are times when your competition is your competition, but then there are also times when your competition needs to all come together to influence a change in acquisition. And in this situation, there's so many contracting officers out there that wouldn't think, well, gee, you know, I need a 50 gallon drum, 55 gallon drum, but I never even thought to ask, you know, of the, you know, what percent is the active? You know, is it 25%? Is it 50%? Uh, the metrics that you guys need in order to price. And so I would say that this is, this is industry agnostic. If you're going to ghost capabilities, and, and that's what you and Mike are talking about now is, you know, that's why RFI sources saw it, you know, 10% of everything that's in FedBizOps. It's so important you don't pass those up because you get to influence the acquisition. Um, so... Great, great comments. Yeah, and I, I always tell people, you know, have you ever seen an RFP that looks like it was written for a specific company? Everybody says, yeah, I've seen those. I guess what it was. <laughs> and it was written that way <laughs> because someone took the time, maybe even a year out, to actually respond to an RFI and actually influence the acquisition. So so that's great stuff. So I don't, this next question is a little bit possibly a, a tangent here, but I, I was just curious, based on what you're saying, do you find that um, is, is the government kind of leading the way in procuring these type of services or is the commercial industry kind of leading the way in? So is it easier for you as a, as a contractor to sell to the commercial market than it is to the government market? And if so... Maybe there's some industry best practices that we could actually start to teach government. Uh, and, and I'm kind of curious about those. So hopefully that question makes sense. So Yes. Uh, so far, uh, what my experience has been, and just to give you background, I was essentially 10 years in the commercial industry before I even started to sell to the government industry. And from what I've seen, uh, it's, it's hit or miss in both industries. Uh, but the government, I would think, is actually more detailed in their uh, RFPs, RFIs, RFQs. Uh, they seem to get it. Uh, if not from, uh, you know, going down to pound or percent active, they at least give you a detailed 
description of what they want and what they require uh, more so than say uh, the the commercial industry. So, but it's hit or miss. Like uh, you could have a very smart contracting officer that understands all that, that maybe used to be a facilities manager or a core or something like that. Uh, or you could have just the opposite, maybe someone just right out of school. Uh, and it's the same way in the commercial industry too. So it's, it's difficult. Like uh, it's, it's a common problem through both industries. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I was curious, you know, if, if that's uh, if one was easier to sell to or, or, or what, but it sounds like some of the same challenges, but in a sense, mm-hmm. the government actually leading the way when they do get it right with the detail and, and how they, and how they perform that. So that's, that's good to know. Right. So, so, you know, do you foresee any big challenges in your niche industry over the next five, 10, 15 years? I guess the the biggest challenges I see are is just presenting the information we have and what we've been discussing so far. Uh, A lot of the uh, environmental challenges from a technical aspect uh, with the environmental discharge standards going down and being lowered uh, throughout the industry in both government and commercial industries. the chemistries are going to get more complex and there's going to be more, uh, there's going to be a need for more and more chemical. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, you get into, you can solve 99% of the problem with a very little effort, but that last 1% making it 100% pure is very difficult, very expensive. So Mm -hmm. I kind of see as people are trying to push these, you know, chemical contracts lower in price and value, they're going to really need more people that are more technical and more capable uh, in the long term. And the prices, it's going to get more expensive and and the use of chemicals is going to actually start to increase. So I see some of those as challenges uh, moving forward. What about, uh, I know this is something that's on a lot of people's mind, especially after uh, every incident. What about aging facilities? I know that uh, that keeps coming up in politics. It keeps coming up with, you know, what happened over in Japan and other different areas. Uh, how are aging facilities going to impact your industry over the next, you know, 10, 15 years? From a treatment standpoint, the only thing that would maybe impact it would be uh, – how dirty the system is or something potentially consuming more chemicals. But for the most part, uh, that wouldn't be difficult to treat. For a lot of folks, uh, you know, the, the whole concept of facilities aging and, uh, you know, whatever corrosion happens in those types of places and which, you know, whether it's a nuclear plant that could all of a sudden melt down because it wasn't maintained properly or something like that. I'm just curious if over the next 10, 15 years, given the fact that everything's aging every day, right? Um, should we expect to need, you know, completely new facilities in places? Will we see the cost of what you're doing rise? Will the work increase by 10, 20 fold for companies like yourself, you know, or, or any of those things going to happen based on, so if I, if I'm getting into your industry, is it almost like a, a really good time where I'm looking at it saying, wow, with all the aging facilities, uh, there's going to be a lot of work for me and my company and almost more than we can even know what to do with. So, 
I, I would say some of the newer facilities, yes, uh, they're building them. Uh, so if some of the older facilities have to be replaced, the newer facilities do have more environmental controls, do have a lot more uh, infrastructure that's being built that has to be maintained. So yes, it would be a good time to uh, move into the industry at this point uh, from that from a treatment standpoint and the, the need and use of, of chemicals. Yes. Hmm. Well, you know, this is all good stuff. Um, you know, you guys have, have been in this for a while now. You're actually selling successfully. You know, we talked to a lot of companies who have been in for multiple years. Uh, there's a lady at a conference recently. I think it was a conference we met you guys at, at uh, National Vets. And uh, she was 0 and 11. She'd been, in, she'd been trying and trying and trying. Couldn't sell anything to the government. You guys have been successful. What is it that you think? What are maybe the two or three things that have actually gotten you some success in this market where other people try and fail miserably? I, I would say the biggest thing is you have to be a knowledge seeker. And what I mean by that is I think we had PTAC on speed dial for a while and nice. we would contact them regardless of what the question was. But uh, we would always be sitting around saying, well, who can we ask these questions to? And we would contact PTAC about a lot of the stuff and uh, get answers from them and and try to uh, structure our proposals based on input from them. Ultimately, you have to structure it the way your industry uh, presents uh, a proposal, but you need to also get the government side of things. And you have to remember that there's a technical review of this uh, proposal and a uh, contracting officer review of the proposal, uh, which they have a different language and we had to learn that language. So learning that language and being able to submit the proposals so that they understood them to just make it through so they could present that to the contracting officer's representative, I think is very important. And then uh, after we had engaged and, and, and got in contact with, with, uh, with, with you guys when we met you guys, then uh, as you're aware, we tend to ask you quite a few questions <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> through emails and different things. And I mean, it comes as far as even uh, to the point where you've given us uh, uh, just guidance on who to contact legally for different things that we needed to get involved in and, and, uh, that sort of uh, a reference, but I get, I guess my biggest thing would be, uh, be persistent in your knowledge that you, that you seek to learn as much as you can and possibly can about, uh, the, the government, how they do business. So, yeah, I, I think that's huge. And it's probably the, the one drum we pound on the hardest is really understanding what you've gotten yourself into. A lot of companies take three to five years to figure this out. And it's our goal to reduce that down to six to 12 months. You know, how much of that knowledge can we give and, and, and how much of that can we provide so that you don't have to go look it up and try to find it and have a lot of that guesswork. So thanks. Thanks for that little plug for us. I really appreciate it. So, so what one are other, one other comment too, on that side? Sorry. Uh, I would just say that, Writing to the specification is an excellent, well, I don't have that many under my, we don't have that many contracts yet, but uh, the ones that we do have, 
I felt were very well written. They were very, they answered what the contracting officer and the core wanted specifically in plain language and that they understood exactly what we were proposing to them. So there was very little questions about it and they understood that we understood what they wanted. Uh, so you, you can't really have any templates or, you know, one size fits all. It has to be from, from beginning to end, whether it's, you know, the RFQ is a hundred pages long or 200 pages long, you have to go through and read everything and, and understand everything and, and, and propose and write to that. So it's, it's not easy, but that's what has to be done in my opinion. No, I, I think that's a great comment. And I think a lot of companies come in with a, uh, like I said, a predefined template where 80% of their answers are, and they add a little bit and they, they really craft their response based on what they're trying to sell, not necessarily trying to interpret what the contracting officer is looking for. And I think that's a huge mistake. So being able to, to answer it fully, all their stuff, even if you add in more on the back end, I think is a, that is a great Great recommendation uh, that hopefully everybody listening will take that one to heart because that okay. is huge. And, you know, the the other thing about that is, you know, you, you said, hey, you don't have that many contracts. There's a lot of people that, that go three, five years and have zero. So I, I think you guys are killing it. Uh, you guys, and especially just the emails I get uh, about this contract you're working on or this one you're trying to get. You guys are actively pursuing it. And I think that's a big thing, too. You know, it's it's kind of like, uh, you know, when, you, when you're in a sport or trying to to have a muscle that's in tune, you know, if you, if you go six months without using it, you get all out of shape and you guys are just actively pursuing it and keeping those, those proposal muscles in shape and those kind of things. And you guys are just on it. So, so kudos to you guys. Any final thoughts for our listeners, uh, either about the industry, about, um, you know, the, the contract side of it or, or anything else that we've talked about today? It's trying, it's frustrating, but I think uh, if you if you stick with it and try to uh, really focus in and want to close that first contract, you'll you'll do it. Yeah. Let me let me take Great that point. to the next level as part of closeout. You know, you said chemistry is chemistry, and small companies can do what large companies can. That being the case. How does WTS, how does your company differentiate itself from the competition in order to win these contracts? We differentiate ourselves by keeping the organization flat. We like to manage in the field so that we can make decisions real time. And I think that's a benefit to uh, the government, uh, especially considering uh, some of the frustrations they feel with the size of the organizations they're in uh, when they can outsource a facility to us, uh, a wastewater facility or something like that, and uh, say, you know, go ahead, WTS, take care of this for us. And then we provide them with the engineers in the field that can do that sort of work. Uh, that makes a very happy customer. Whereas I see a, a lot of bigger companies would maybe once they sell the business, unfortunately, they tend to put in maybe people that are newer to the industry and they move on to other things and that. So Good stuff. Well, thank you, Bill. I really appreciate you being a guest today. Uh, a lot of insights in the chemical industry and uh, 
very much looking forward to having you on another time. So okay, appreciate thank you that. very much. So, appreciate it. so I also want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on this episode. Remember, you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. You can also learn more about each of our guests by visiting the official Game Changers website at www.rsmfederal.com forward slash Game Changers where we'll have links to their websites, bios, and any special offers or things like that from our guests. And last but not least, please visit our sponsor for today's episode, the Federal Access Program. You can visit that at rsmfederal.com forward slash FA for more information on how you can find and win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash game changers.